this week's episode of Not D&D, brought to you by EM World Live. I'm your host, Jessica, and I have two fantastic guests with me here this week. I have Sam and Joseph here to tell us all about their game that recently funded on Kickstarter. Congratulations of Steel and Scale. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank you very much. Of course. So as I said, we're talking about Steel and Scale. I saw this on Kickstarter and it was a really interesting blend of high fantasy, age of industry, a unique system. And so I just had to invite you folks to come on the show. So thanks for coming on. Um, Before we dig into the game, um, I'm nosy and I want to know about you (laughs) as people. Uh, So to start off, um, I'm going to ask about your kind of history and and background with games. Um, So Sam, I'll start with you. Do you remember what your first tabletop RPG was that you played? So we have a kind of interesting history um, with tabletop role-playing games in that we started before we really knew what we were doing. Um, Sure. I think it was like Joseph who ran the first ever game back when we were like early teenagers. Uh, I don't think I was in that one, but... No, still in in middle school, (laughs) that young at the time. Um, Didn't have any books or anything, any... But we understood the concept of roll dice, and if number is big enough, you can do your thing. Um, yeah, that's basically it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that sort of evolved over time, and eventually through friends, um, me and Sam met, and then we were still, the thing is, is when we were, this is about when we were 16, and in the UK, it was not the easiest thing to do in the world to get a copy of the anything official. Um, I think there are any game stores near... No, nothing nothing selling anything. And we didn't have the money to buy it anyway. So Mm. um, Sam very much took the lead. Sam was our condemned forever GM for the first couple (laughs) of years of our Mm. uh, collective group and just slowly started making a system. And then by the time that eventually we had the money and the ability to acquire other systems to play, we kept coming back to, well, it's not as good as the one we made that's exactly (laughs) how we like to play the game. (laughs) And those those early iterations were very far from what we have now um, and yeah. were definitely impenetrable because it was just stuff loaded on top of each other. Uh, but over we, time, we, yeah, we um, developed a more sort of streamlined uh, system. Yeah. yeah. So, so really, well. in a way, your first role-playing game was Steel and Scale. Like, obviously, the early <laughs> playtest versions of it. And you've been playtesting it and creating this for what sounds like years now at this mm. point. Oh, wow. So yes. this has been a long time coming. So what, what made you want to, well, what, what made you decide to, like, put it out there on, on crowdfunding and, and make it available for other people? Like, yeah, um, I mean, creating your own system and playing it at your table and being a publisher are, are two different things. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, once we had sort of a very good point where, uh, I mean, it was still only really shared among our small friend group, but mm-hmm. we were kind of thinking, okay, this is now easier for other people to kind of get into. And so it was Joseph who started a big game uh, like two years ago now, um, two years and a couple of months, uh, and just invited loads and loads of people from all across his circles um, into come and play. And they all reacted incredibly positively to it. Uh, some of them have now started GMing the system themselves. Oh, nice. Um, and so with that sort of swell of positive response, uh, we thought, let's put it out there. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, yeah, the Kickstarter went incredibly well, so you fully mm-hmm. funded. Uh, I think this is, your, this is your first crowdfunding campaign you've done as well? Yes, yeah. yeah. 
Amazing. So that's really great that it <laughs> that it went through. Yeah. Uh because I'm sure you've heard the statistics. I think it's about like was it around 10-15% of crowdfunding campaigns actually fund. So uh yeah. Yeah, just let you know. Congratulations We're on very that. Very grateful to our backers. <laughs> very uh, yeah, grateful absolutely. to our backers and friends. We've had a we had a great amount of support going into mm -hmm. it. And as we said, we've the the thing is when it comes to making it public, um mm -hmm. as well, making that decision, it was very by the time we were at the point of making the decision, it basically was because that campaign had about 20 people in it. Those 20 people told all their other friends about it in their various geek culture circles. And at that point, it was just like, well, when are we going to do it? And um, <laughs> okay. when it happened, like, it was good to have a lot, like, legions of people, even people that I wasn't aware knew about the system went, oh, finally, the Kickstarter's up. I will now put my money in. Um, oh, nice. And so it's just been this, it's been this very overwhelming bit of support. We're very lucky to have the friends and family that we do to get us started and the random people in the public that have reached out as well. Mm. Oh, it's been excellent. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it sounds very like grassroots organic style crowdfunding. Like, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, so what, what what advice would you give people that are in the, perhaps in a similar position to you? They've made a system that they're using in their groups and are really enjoying. Uh, you know, do you have any advice on crowdfunding and, and you know, making making it available for other people um make sure that you know people who are willing to put a lot of money into it <laughs> <laughs> okay um, having we had some very have, generous friends and family yeah uh to, that, and that was a good sort of springboard to get other people invested because that's sort of the hard mm -hmm. thing is you need it to see, be something that will get the public's attention but there's lots of things that can dissuade them uh, i think the biggest piece of advice i would give is do your research look at other campaigns that have been funded we had a proper mood board mm -hmm. look of uh, various things and go right we need to include this we need to include this this is how long mm -hmm. we want this bit of text to be i mm -hmm. i don't know how much you looked at the kickstarter page but i'd like to think it was very well presented and very pretty so that yes it was it yeah. felt like everyone that clicked on it eventually like hovered over that backer button at the very least because it just mm -hmm. needs to you need to present competence um mm -hmm. and one of the other things i would also recommend is don't it does cost there, there, there are costs that go into it. And it is a massive gamble mm -hmm. that you're taking in trying to get it funded. But uh, reaching out to influential people in the community, in various communities, and getting them to sort of genuinely support you off the back of the quality of your product is also just a very simple and good way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of be smart. Don't underestimate the power of online advertising as well. Even if you're one of those people that ad blocks everything and just goes straight through life, not really worrying about that kind of thing, don't underestimate the power of putting about a hundred pounds into getting a small YouTuber to give you a shout out because that could generate you so much more. It, it all feels very mm. much like a risk and a gamble. And it's something mm. that I don't recommend people do when your budget is as high as ours was, because it was very scary towards the end of where it was just like, mm -hmm. well, we don't know where this last hurdle is going to be crossed <laughs> from. Let's hope that it does. And luckily it was. So, mm. yeah. Fantastic. yeah. Um, we learned um, a lot throughout the uh, process. Sorry. Um, one of the other things we did is we reached out to a couple of like local like university role playing societies mm -hmm. um and like showed them the system, let them play around with it for a bit and got some funding from that side. So oh, cool. Yeah. Amazing. Don't don't underestimate get, get involved. Your local hobby shops and mm. or as I said, gaming societies <clears throat> in um, universities and such, they 
Trust me when I say they are chomping at the bit for this kind of thing because you're giving them an evening of fun and entertainment. Because we didn't, we didn't even need to really run a session. We gave them the documents. We were there on hand to answer questions, but they just got yeah. to it, made their characters, had sort of a fun time hypothesizing and deciding what they want to do with it. Uh, and then, yeah, and that's really good because when you do finally get your product made, you've already talked to things like your local store managers and things like that, and they are ready to. Like right now, we are quite lucky in that quite a lot of the shops in our local area are basically they're like cool let us know when it's printed and we'll buy the first 10 copies of you and then if they sell nice. we'll buy more so you're ready and you can keep the momentum going once you're going fantastic some great advice uh speaking about when it's available in stores uh because the crowd uh, is fully funded so if people missed uh, the crowdfunding campaign and they're interested in in picking up a copy i think you're saying you're planning it for the pdf to be available kind of march 2024 time where can people mm-hmm. pick up a copy so we have our website, steelandscale.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we, everything we will be on there. Uh, we'll put when we have it available to order, we'll put it up there. And when the PDFs are available, they'll be on there for order um, at the same price as the Kickstarter pledge as well. So. Perfect. And there will be physical books as well coming as well. Yes. So if people not just be it, perfect. Okay, well, we had a little <laughs> chat about the crowdfunding and, and making it a thing. Uh, let's dig into what the game actually is. Uh, so... Uh, who, who wants to talk me through the law? So steel and scale, we're already getting an idea of like, high fantasy in the age of industry. Uh, but hmm. tell me a bit more about the law and, and the world. So the law originated really um, from, we had a pretty typical fantasy setting um, with some quirks of its own, hmm. but then we just did a time skip. Uh, so we had a campaign in that old setting and then we just skip forward 70 years and give it sort of a level of technology that you expect from like a 1900 um, turn of the century kind of period. Um, And that creates this really interesting mix that is very fun to play around in. Uh, You can have a whole load of the stories that you just wouldn't be able to do in another kind of typical Mm -hmm. fantasy genre thing. You can do like noir detective style stuff. Uh, You can have like trench warfare. Um, It really elevates the setting to a really interesting place uh, and that's but with the addition of like the fantasy elements as well so you can have people flinging spells from the back of cars and they as they wind through city streets um it's great fun being chased by a dragon for example yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's also just been the most free setting to create basically any story that you like um mm-hmm. That obviously we get the benefit of that, uh, having you know Sam created the world, and I've gone in and deep dived a few areas to just sort of keep fleshing it out. And as the law continues to develop, it's just getting more and more exciting. But it's a world that allows it's a world and a setting that allows you to do everything from oh yes, the knights are all off to the tournament, and I will win the glory of the maiden's favor, and I will live in luxury for the rest of my days <laughs> to as you said, grizzled noir detective exploring corruption through the governments and things, while at the same time just just doing anything that you can think of and a, and a, a setting that doesn't restrict story and a mm. time period where you can just, cause if you want to, you can just ignore all the cars and the guns and you can leave mm. all that behind and go back to sword and, uh, sword and spell. And at the same time, you can also go to a place that's so urbanly developed that if you are walking around with a staff, everyone's like, mm, that's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Fair enough. freedom of story. Sure. So it's fair to say it's a system that's very much designed to be like a, a toolbox for people to tell their own stories that they want and, and pick out the bits that they they would Absolutely. like. Absolutely, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We're, and, we're very um, proud of our own law, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it is a setting that you can look at and it is at the end of the day. It's not like, 
oh yes, this is the this is the weapon that was specifically invented by this person at this time on this day, and it can only be used in these environments. It's very much take this, tell your own story if you want to, and everything yeah. else. So there is law in the world, but I'm not going to need to sit and do um, a load of homework before my first session no. to figure out all the. Yeah, great, perfect. I love to hear that. Uh, that's sometimes the things when you come to a big setting is I hate that I feel like I have to do homework and it's like it's like well my character would know these things, but I don't know. Like you say, the specific date this sword was made and who made it and all this stuff. So yeah. that's also awesome yeah. here. Your your GM can very much take it as deep as they'd like. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the important things as well, and I think this sort of ties back to what we talked about earlier about uh, other systems being more not as good as the one you make yourself, mm-hmm. uh, is that you don't, you, well, you can, you, the GM has all the stories in their heads and there is no external mm. thing necessary to research. And this system is very much made to be that tool that a GM can tell the story they want to tell rather than echoing the story someone else has told unless you want to look up all of the little snippets and find out where everything comes from in which case that's there for you too <laughs> great so flexibility we love that um yeah. i do if you're watching the video they can see uh, the gorgeous picture that's on screen uh, right now can we talk a little bit about the artwork and the art style you chose and and, and who's doing these drawings and because it's, uh, it's a very pretty <laughs> pretty project as well that would be me thank you um <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I am the lead artist on Steel and Scale. We will be getting other artists in to do the book as well. Um, but yeah, uh, we chose this art style because this is my art style, but also uh, <laughs> just because it really does make it stand out from a lot of the yeah. other systems. Um, I, I love, there's a lot of systems that have their own unique style, uh, and we yeah. definitely wanted to achieve that um, with this sort of vibrancy um, and yeah yeah it's a almost comic-y kind of uh, approach yeah i gotta say the artwork is really what drew me in when i was scrolling through kickstarter because it's a fantastic image i mean i'll put the link in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast but it's a car going down this this street like you say kind of like an early 1900s one there's a, a guy with flame going in his hands casting a spell there's look what looks like a robot with a uh a, a sort of machine gun type thing or an old old school gun <laughs> being chased by a dragon down a street and that was just that piece of art really kind of summarized it for me of like oh like okay fantasy meets this industry thing yeah that makes sense i know where we are um so yeah it was really fantastic art style i'm really looking forward to seeing the the final book and and you know see it all fleshed out in there so a very pretty product um but diving a little bit more into the rules so could you give us some an overview of 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 what the rules what the system is what will we actually be doing how do we actually do the things in the games uh so the one sentence description is a d20 based role playing system with uh point based character creation okay so um so the d20 obviously like as me familiar with anybody who's come in from dnd it's mm-hmm. i think it's a handy little system to have um very you know simple uh and then the one of the major innovations we've made is rather than being like linear classes that you go down or like things that you pick and then you're locked into, you can just have a there's a wide array of ingredients and abilities and things that you can just spend your points to get. Mm-hmm. Um, so the opportunity, the the options are just unlimited basically. There's there's a million different combinations um, to make a really, really unique character that's personalized to be exactly your character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there was always there was always been this philosophy of true freedom in making mm-hmm. the character exactly what you want them to be, um, mm-hmm. and quite often the way that I've compared it to 
when I was introducing new players to the system, the way that I would compare it to people is a bit like building blocks, where you can have yeah. a foundation piece and then you can go quite tall in one thing. So if you want to be the best swordsman in the world and you want to build a character that is that, you can just do that and put all of your points mm -hmm. into cool sword tricks and having a good time and you'll be happy. But you can also go broad if you want and have a jack of all trades but a master of nothing. And at the same time, just sort of expand into certain different ways. If you want to build a healer, that's fine. But picking the healing class, as you would in other games, which may lock you out of doing some of the best fighty stuff, you can pick that. And then it's cool. What weapon choice do you want? Are you actually an expert marksman? Are you actually an awesome spell slinger while also being a doctor? And that kind of creativity and just zero restriction whatsoever. And you can build it as tall as you like or as broad as you like and specialize in different areas as you choose as you yeah. construct this character. And you can even, um, one of the main, other main things that we wanted to achieve, uh, there's very few of this kind of RPG where it, um, a lot of it is like the sort of power fantasy, you can be a really, really powerful magic user, a fighter, or whatever, mm -hmm. but very few of that kind of RPG will contain an option for people who just want to be the supportive character or the, the one who is just talking to people, the one who is doing all the stuff behind the scenes and passing all the skill checks. Um, and mm -hmm. that is something you can absolutely do in Steel and Scale. You can make a character who's terrible at fighting, um, but if you put them in a room with uh, some people you need to talk to, they will happily, you know, win the situation and get you all out of there. Mm, and, and that even extends to, for a, for a GM standpoint, these characters are also designed to navigate through hostile situations as well. So you're not just saying, I want to be not no combat, so I'm going to sit here as player number four of the party, and don't do any combat at all. In those combat situations, there are mechanics and abilities you can pick to do that yeah. have those uses. There is a, one of our favorite abilities, um, one of Joseph's favorite as well, is the ability uh, parlay, where you can just stop somebody from attacking you by talking to them. Um, Amazing, yeah. yeah. So you That's still get things character. you can do. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're, ne you're never left with nothing to do. And I think also, the, the closest thing, when people are new to the system, the first time they look at it, they see the archetypes, which is where lots of characters start. I won't go into yeah. full detail on what those are, but quite often people look at them and go, oh, this seems like a class. In fact, we've got mm -hmm. one of them on the, on the page right now. We've got the warrior archetype. Mm -hmm. uh, and they go, oh, okay, this makes sense. And as I gain character points, I gain these extra bonuses. So this is like character progression, sort of, but not really. If you want to build a character mm -hmm. that is an epic warrior, you do take it. But also if you as a player, just have a play style that you like that is equal that is equally justifiable as a reason to pick an archetype because as um sam said one of the archetypes is support which means mm -hmm. that you can make your friends be more awesome but then as the opposite to that there's also the expert which is basically saying i'm amazing and i'm the <laughs> best and i will pass all my skill checks so yeah hmm. um and the classes well the archetypes sorry they're not classes because they don't like lock you into certain styles uh, you can pick mm -hmm. the warrior and you can go magic you can go fighting you can do machinery it's whatever you want to do really it just gives you a sort of baseline um skill set to work off yeah the, the the difference is is how your character plays rather than who your character is yeah uh, okay. and that's that's the mm. big important thing and you just pick other things that are out on top of it because we've sorry. had oh, sorry. Uh, the deadly we've had campaigns where the deadliest character will be a tank uh and we've had <laughs> other ones where the socialite will also just be able to eliminate someone in an instant uh, mm -hmm. violently if they so chose. So yeah, it's the variety of characters is just crazy. And the fact people can go in with just a vague idea and mm -hmm. create mm -hmm. this finished product is and it, quite um, 
impressive. One of the yeah, one of the great things that we found from running loads and loads of games over time is when people look at the stuff they have access to, start making the character and say, oh, can I do this? And then as a GM and as the writer of the system, I'm thinking, I've had never thought of that. But absolutely, yes, you can do that. Um, and it just is a great feeling. <laughs> people just come up with something completely independently just by mixing stuff together. Amazing. So it sounds like uh, having a unique character and being able to tailor it and, and grow it in whatever direction you want is mm. a really important feature of the game for you. Can we talk mm -hmm. a little bit how character creation works? Because I'm looking at the um, character sheet right now and there's some things I recognize like from playing d and I can see there's, you know, there's skills and there's things in combat about how much my movement is and how reactions I do and stuff. But then there's stuff that's um, a little bit different. Like I see I've got health, but then I've also got energy and destiny and I've got mm. um, attributes of earth, water, fire, air. So yeah, what, what are the, say if I'm coming from, from from D and D, and I'm used to creating a character in that way. What are the very different things about creating characters in Steel and Scale that I'll notice? Yeah, uh, so a lot of it comes from a similar sort of um, origin. Uh, I think there is that sort of uh, the primordial RPG that has you know attributes and skills and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and our four attributes are earth, water, air, and fire. Each of which mm -hmm. represent the four key sort of strengths and weaknesses of your character. Um, mm -hmm. with the earth being like your strength and vitality, uh, water being your agility and dexterity, um, air being your wits and sort of ability to perceive things and deduce things, um, and the fire being your confidence, your charisma, your uh, just willpower. Um, and by sort of putting numbers in those different stats, you make sort of what your character does, what they're good at, how they interact with the world, um, and how they can be expected to uh, mm -hmm. you know, solve problems. <clears throat> yeah. What I will say in comparison to other systems that have usually a lot more, I think we've reached a stage now in um, smaller RPGs other than D&D where a four block system is quite common. But mm -hmm. the other thing that I will say about this one is that we've made them, you'll notice there's a lot less stats points distributed than you'll find in a D&D sheet. Um, yeah. D&D, when you make your first character, some people already have plus five to things. Meanwhile, this mm -hmm. one, you are very much simple, small, basic numbers that are mm -hmm. used broadly. And specialization to specific abilities comes a little bit later. Because one of the things you don't mm -hmm. want is just to have someone go, well, I've got four in my air, so I'm basically a super genius <laughs> uh, at everything. I'm the best. But um, mm -hmm. you know, it, the system doesn't uh, allow that as more things that you'll see in other games of specific abilities are listed in the middle column, as you can see on this character sheet, in like mm -hmm. where it says traits and expertises, where these are specific subjects, which characters get another bonus to on top of their mm -hmm. attribute levels. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so you could pick you could pick those to either like capitalize on the skills you have, so adding a, the perceptive trait onto a character who already has, has high air, high air um, is going to be very good at spotting stuff. Um, but alternatively, you could do that to like, mitigate one of your lower stats if you want to sort of represent that you have some skill in this at least. Um, so if you have your perceptive trait on somebody who doesn't have high air, then it means they're not super smart, but they can spot stuff at least. Mm -hmm. mm. And also, this is, a, this is a good example of having very basic stuff be used for player creativity. Because mm -hmm. while a GM could turn around, and we, we quite frequently do in our games, where we say, okay, I'm on perception checks, it's your air plus your perception modifier. Mm -hmm. um, that is quite a common thing that if we said it, if we got a pound every time you and Sam had said it, we could have functioned. <laughs> twice. But um, what players can also do is they can say, okay, and the, the GM maybe they're in a vague situation where it's like, 
okay, there's a cliff, some rocks have come down and the pathways now become like a little bit steep. Can you give me a water check for like navigating your way across the slippery pathway? And then a player who's playing Tommy in this instance could turn around and be like, oh, I've got agile. Can I add that? And then the GM can go, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure you can. And basically if you can justify it, mm-hmm. you can you can get it. Because you can even argue, I want to tell if this guy's lying. So, you know, I'm trying to read this, read this person, but like, I just want to get their vibe. So maybe that's considered in that situation more of a fire check. But, you know, you've still got perceptives. You can add that to that as well, rather than just there. They're not all uniquely. You will certainly see Agile come up more for a water check and Athletic more for an Earth check. But there are occasions where these cross cross streams yeah. and that's yeah. fun for players to turn around and go, I think I should get a little bonus. And the GM can go, Fine. And I guess <laughs> I guess that works the other way with the flaws as well, because the GM can be like, actually, aren't you a bad liar? It says here, so uh... yeah, the flaws are a great addition. Um, they mm. allow you to really just like narrow down on what are you bad at. Um, and funny enough, we always uh, you don't have to pick multiple flaws, but people often do. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. has a character with those flaws. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's much more interesting actually... than just like a minus one in a bad stat. It's just like yeah. Whoever real bad time you're you're real bad at these things which is also i think very fun and this plays into the secret strength of the uh, character creation system where there's no way to write this down on a piece of paper i think this is just something players will experience when they finally get their hands on the system because it's definitely what all of our players have we've had players go into this game with the only idea of i want to be a tailor for is probably the best example I can think of. For someone they're just like, I don't, yeah. I don't know about my stats, I don't know about my magical powers or anything. I just want to sew clothes, and I'm like, cool, we can start with that. And then you pick your archetype. Okay, how does this person solve their problems? Do they make other people good? No, okay, you're quite skillful. Yeah, you're right. Sure, be an expert. And then you sort of keep going, and then you pick the characters' backgrounds, and you're like, okay, sure. So this is your starting equipment. Where did you get that from? And you begin to really flesh out the backstory. And so when you mm. get to the point where you're picking your traits and your expertises this character has gone from just a job that you want your character to have to this fully fledged character. And as you hover over and you get to the flaws list and you see the flaws in front of you and you're like, yeah, okay, this is this this is what stops this character from being a Mary Sue. I'm gonna put this through. And I think one of the biggest strengths of the character creation system is that it will, t- you can go in with a fully fledged idea and you can virtually make it every single time with zero changes, as long as it's setting appropriate for your GM. But also you can go in with no idea and come out the other side with a fully fledged character, even if you went in not intending to have any emotional investment in their story. Fantastic. So, um, what sort of advice or guidance would you give to GMs that are perhaps running the system for the first time? So they've they picked up the game, they want to give it a try. What, yeah, what kind of guidance would you give them? Um, you kind of have to run the game in a slightly different way, um, and we kind of have experience with this now. I do it on instinct, but for somebody who's perhaps experienced with like playing D and D, they might go in and just throw in a bunch of enemies at um, the players. Mm-hmm. But because of how different and unique the characters can be, um, and how different their loadouts can be, you you can't apply the same situation to different parties necessarily. Um, and like there could be some fights that are incredibly dangerous for some people, but easy for others. Um, and for those characters that are more skilled in the outside of combat kind of things, um, it would be definitely more, you have to include ways for them to overcome the situation. I mean, sometimes the players come up with them on their own, but it's always best to come up with a couple ideas on how they can use their particular skills in each situation. Um, 
And often it's more fun when it isn't all about fights, um, or at least when there's other stakes at hand, um, especially with uh, the various different abilities that the players can use and the ways they can overcome each situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I would say that's that's very true. Um, the system itself, while it is, and it can absolutely be, we have had sessions where it's like, and we begin, the fight has started, let's go. <laughs> and if we just spend the next five hours, as you do in any other RPG, having an epic bar crawl across the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I think the mindset you've got to go in as a GM into Steel and Scale is your world is your, is your baby, and you've made it, and that's very cool. But your players are the protagonists of your story. And so you Mm -hmm. need to put those characters into situations that allow them to show off as the characters that they are. And while that may seem like broad general advice that all DMs should listen to, that will take you even further in steel and scale because you can look at specifically in the early sessions, you can look at your character's strengths and give them the moments to be cool and have them all bond together. Um, And then in the later campaigns, in the later sessions, you challenge them and you go to their flaws and you're like, right, here's a guy that you can't defeat by using that same ability combo you've used for the last 10 Mm -hmm. uh, sessions. Now you've got to get creative and being aware of your players and what they like is definitely going to take you a lot further in the system. But also while, as we said, you can do all the fighting if you want to, don't be afraid to be a bit of a puzzle master. I think this, this game takes a, I've been saying this to people recently, but in games like D&D, they use the term dungeon master. And that's because at the core of that game, you're expected to make a dungeon, a series of rooms filled with stuff, and then stuff Mm -hmm. happens. In Steel and Scale, we use the term game master, and your role is much more of a storyteller to present this experience to players, to uh, take them into the world and give them this epic thing to play. And so, yeah, that that's what will take you the furthest in this campaign. It is a hard thing to learn. I think both me and Sam can think back to sessions mm-hmm. where we get to the end of it and we're like, wow, that was loads of fun for me. Uh, and our <laughs> just there like, oh, that, that, okay, that, that happened. Um, but yeah, um, but you'll get that. It's, it's the same with any, any, any game you'll play. Nothing's perfect right out of the box, but you wouldn't want it to be. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So as as mentioned, if people if you're if you're listening and you're interested and you want to pick up a copy, you, you missed out on the crowdfunding. If you check out steelandscale.com, the website, uh, you can get the information there about when you can pick up your own copy. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, everything there. One thing I was going to ask is we mentioned you're planning kind of March 2024 for the PDFs and updates to kind of be available next year following mm-hmm. your successful crowdfunding this year. Um, but what about, you mentioned uh, to me before we went live, sneakily, uh, you have a few other ideas for the future. Uh, so Joseph, I don't know if you want to give a little sneak tease yeah. about what else you're working on as well as Steel and Scale. So Steel and Scale is not just the name of the RPG book, it's also the name of the company, Steel and Scale Games. And we're very excited to not just be a flash in the pan, one-off thing. We, while the law is definitely something that we don't want to overwhelm people with now because your own worlds and what you create out of it is going to be so much more interesting. What we are excited to do though is as we present the world and it's completed fully fleshed out form, is more games set in the same setting with this post, post fantasy into industrial um, setting across other games. And while there will be more TTRPG books, We've got we've got loads of things planned for the next five years, including uh, not just accessories, but like adventure books and additional rules to explore deeper, more niche parts of the game uh, that wouldn't work in every campaign. But for yours, it could very well be. But also explain to other things. If you're a fan of 
tabletop miniatures games, or you just want to get miniatures for your steel and scale adventures, that's something we're looking into, and hopefully will be around sooner than you think. So if you're not following us on Kickstarter, maybe do that. Yeah, maybe do that. Uh, or, 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 you know, stay in touch via the website. I'm sure you have mailing lists and so, bits and pieces of information there, yeah? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. No problem. Um, one thing I will say is a question I ask everyone before they leave, because um, get ideas for me mostly to for other people to come on the show, um, is do you have any recommendations for any other tabletop RPGs that you enjoy? And the rules are it can't be a game you've made, because we've just spent a little bit of time talking about yours. And it, of course, it can't be D&D, because this is not D&D. Mm. Um, so Sam, do you have any uh, other games you'd like to shout out? I do, actually. Um, there's a lot of game systems out there that are designed for a specific kind of story and those do really really good at doing a specific kind of thing and um, mm. one thing i played recently uh, was monster hearts which has a really interesting mm-hmm. social system um and like adds mechanics to the ways that you lose leverage on other people around you and the relationships you develop um obviously there's not so much for the adaption adventure but if you just want to sort of a game where the most dramatic thing that's going to happen to you is being humiliated at school that oh monster is great for that um, yeah <laughs> love the drama of monster hearts but what about you joseph um i've 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 not has had as broad of a uh, rpg experience as sam has but there are to avoid sort of the class i'd say the big one that inspired me to get better as a gm um was called cthulhu that really mm-hmm. took me to like another level but if i had to pick out one little thing that just surprised me um a company called Fail Better Games released a ga- uh, an, a free RPG booklet called Skyfarer, um, mm-hmm. and they've only made a couple of small games, and that is a, in itself a very simple RPG system that is just sort of a stress-free way to play, and it's just sort of a bit of was a fun introduction. I ran a few sessions of that, and that's always sort of stayed with me as a, like, for, if you want to play a game that doesn't have any health to it and is just pure story, that is one of the better systems I've ever played that gives you that experience. Fantastic. So that's two for one on recommendations there. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Sam, Joseph, congratulations on your campaign. Thank you so thank much you. for coming on and sharing the game with us. I'm very excited to see what other things you do in the future. More than happy to have you back again. So if any of these uh, plans and things you're working on uh, come to fruition, you know you have my details. So let me know. You can come back on and, and share it all with us here. Um, but for now, that is all the time we have. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for everyone who came along to listen. We'll be back next week with another Indie Tabletop RPG to share with you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.